0: I occasionally think how quickly our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world, and yet I ask you, is not an alien force already among us? An alien force among us. That's what we are here today to find out. We got a special treat for you. He's a documentary filmmaker, an investigative journalist, and was a video producer for the U.S. State Department. But he's currently with the New York Post and has been making the most in depth series about UFOs that's out today. And it's called The Basement Office. And all the episodes to date. They're available on YouTube. Please help me welcome Mr. Stephen Greenstreet. Stephen, how are you, man? I'm doing great, man. Thank you so much for taking the time today. What's this State Department thing? You worked for the State Department? I
1: did. It's the most (laughs) random thing ever. But yeah, I had, at one point, the US government gave me a security clearance. I have no idea why. They absolutely should not have. (laughs) I'm the last person you want to give a security clearance to.
0: Were you part of the Project Mockingbird, where the recruited journalists to come work for
1: Uh, No, it was not that rad. No, it wasn't that (laughs) cool. No, it was like, uh, so in 2009, I was unemployed uh the financial crisis i lost my job so i was like oh man like i should probably find something to do to get paid and the the state department obama was a new president and state department was had a new thing called america.gov it was like literally america the website for america and they were hiring a bunch of like graphic designers video producers writers etc and I was one of the video producers they hired to make videos that told America's story. Uh basically look, I'm just gonna say it was soft American propaganda. Like that's that's, I was hired to make soft American propaganda. Soft propaganda. (laughs) Yeah. And so I made video series, you know, telling America's story with you know subtle embedded messaging. Uh, to an international, our target audience was like international youth. And anyway, I had fun. Like I made some great stuff while at the state department.
0: I had no idea that, does that still exist? So, uh, yeah. So the
1: bureau I was part of IIP, uh, I think it's called the international information programs bureau still exists to this day. Their mission is more or less the same. America.gov no longer exists. The website was shuttered. I think, um, some, I think during Obama's second term, they it's now called share America. So if you Google share America, it's like the rebranding of what I was working on.
0: Oh, okay. Interesting. How long did you do that for? Uh, so let's see here. 12, 13, 14, 15,
1: 15 months.
0: That's crazy. I had no idea this even existed. (laughs) <laughs> yeah most
1: people don't and the reason why is because up well, up until recently what we created was not for the american public what we created was for an international youth demographic so our target audience were international youth that all changed in 2012 when the i forget the name of the act but it was previously illegal for the State Department to release propaganda to the American public until 2012, when that law was nixed. And so now they can actively release what they create to the American public.
0: They can completely do that. All the gloves are off. Propaganda, bring it. Yeah. Wow. Holy cow. I asked you to come on for, so we could talk about some UFO. When did you get involved? Is that when you got involved with the UFO stuff was at the state department?
1: No, I mean, so there's two answers to that. One is I've always kind of been into UFOs. I mean, ever since I was like a little kid, mm-hmm. um, like a very little kid. Like I, I saw ET, this is how old I am, by the way. <laughs> I saw ET in the movie, th- in the movie theaters. Oh, wow. when it when it came out, I mean, I was only like four, but, right. um, I was obsessed. I wanted an E.T. buddy. So like when I was a little kid, I was just like, I really want an alien buddy. Just like Elliot had. Oh, yeah. I was like obsessed with, yeah, I was like obsessed with that con- that concept. And uh, I, 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 I remember going to the library when I was, I want to say 10, 11, or 12. And I would check out all the nonfiction books on UFOs and, and aliens. And oh. I mean, I, would, I, I checked out Stanton Friedman's uh, Crash at Corona book, which is his Roswell book when I was like 12, it's like heavy reading, but I was like obsessed.
0: Did you understand? Like,
1: it? Yeah. I, well, I wanted to, you okay. know, i really dug into, I took my time with it, you know? Right. I think that's why my parents got racked up late library bills because <laughs> I took a lot of time with it. But um, sure. the older I got, so when I became a adult, I focused my efforts and passions to filmmaking documentaries And UFOs just like drifted into the memories of my childhood. I kind of like left that alone into my childhood Mm -hmm. and moved on with my life. And in 2003, I witnessed a UFO uh, in Utah, in Provo, Utah, and that kind of like reignited some interest and, but it wasn't really until 20, December 2017 when the New York Times broke the story about the Pentagon's UFO program where I was like, holy crap. Can I cuss on this show? Oh, yeah. I can. Oh, I was yeah. like, holy shit. Like, this is real. All the stuff that I like from my childhood dreams, wait, this it's on the cover of the New York Times. (laughs) Like, this is real. So that's when it really started becoming a real thing for
0: me. Can you tell me um, about your experience in Utah? I'm broadcasting from Utah, Provo, Utah. It was a triangle, right? You covered this in one of your basement office episodes. But can you tell everybody a little bit about that?
1: Sure. So at the point that I saw my UFO in November 2003 in Provo, Utah, I was still, at the time, technically a Mormon, a member of the Mormon Church. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: The Mormon Church makes their own feature films. Maybe people don't know that, but they have their own movie studio. They make million-dollar movies with the target audience being only members of the church. So Mm. I was a production assistant on one of these movies. Uh, In Provo, Utah, the Mormon Church owns a massive film studio. They have airport hangar size studios and they were doing interior shoots on this specific night. And I was guarding the entrance to this studio. So I was just outside the studio. A little red light was on Mm -hmm. and the red light means don't come in. We're filming. And and they put me out there to make sure, double check that no one comes in while they film. (laughs) So I'm standing out there for like an hour or two and it's november in utah so it's cold, cold yeah and yeah and so I'm, I'm sitting out there or standing out there actually and i was texting on my little flip phone at the time i was texting and it's kind of bored actually and my mind was drifting and then something caught my eye and i looked up and in the southern part of the sky i look up so i'm facing east so I'm, I'm facing the mountain range there. and I'm, I'm facing Y Mountain. If you're familiar with uh, Provo, the big mountain with the capital Y on it, I'm facing that mountain and in, I see a triangle, a black triangle at a body. So if you put two sticks together, there wasn't a body in the middle, just two sticks, black and blue lights on the bottom of it. And there were low hanging clouds those really thin, fast-moving clouds, you know, they're like Mm -hmm. maybe 2,000 feet up. This sucker was under the clouds, so it wasn't like way up there. So
0: fairly low. And
1: fairly low, and uh, because of that, I was able to get a pretty good look at it, and it wasn't moving that fast. So this isn't like some supersonic thing I was looking at. It wasn't a jet, and it was just slowly moving from south to north against the wind. So the wind was blowing east to west, And this was flying through the wind. And I thought for the first maybe 10, 8 to 10 seconds, it was a B-2 bomber because it had the outline of a B-2 bomber. Right. But B-2 bombers are jets and they're loud. And when this sucker got above me and then passed me, it made zero sound. Not a sound, not a hum, nothing nothing. And at that point, I remember clearly this like cold, scared feeling kind of like washed over me. It was like this unnatural feeling. And I was like, wait, is that a balloon? It can't be a balloon cuz it's flying through the wind. It's solid. It's a solid craft. Um, what am I what the hell am I looking at? Right. You know? And it just disappeared into the the northern hemisphere. And then I remember right as it disappeared, the red light outside the door went blink. It went off and the door opened and the casting crew's coming out and that it like snapped me out of this like stupor that I was in. I was like in this daze. And then I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, crap. I got to get back to work. <laughs> and I remember I went in and I went up to my assistant director and I said, I think I just saw a UFO. And they were like, wait, what? And I was like, no, seriously, just outside. I think I saw a UFO. And everyone was busy making the movie that they didn't really, like, no one really listened to me. Right. And, you know, I spent the next few hours going, okay, well, will you know, Hill Air Force Base is, you know, hop, skip and a jump from this location, Um, it could be that. uh, Area 51 is due west from where I was, so maybe it was a secret, whatever. But I couldn't comprehend how something that large, moving that slow, could fly through the wind without making any sound, because energy propulsion makes noise. And I just couldn't, to this day, I can't explain what it was.
0: You couldn't make out a shape. You could just see the lights and Two sticks it was triangular. Together. Yeah,
1: two sticks. It was low enough where it, it, especially when it got directly above me and I could look right up at it, it looked like just two um, sticks together that formed a a, a, tri- a wide triangle. But there was no back and there was no middle. Two black sticks flying through the sky with blue lights on the bottom.
0: How long do you say it's up there? Do you have any recollection of time?
1: Yeah, so I want to say like 13, like uh, twenty seconds.
0: Wow, that's a long time for a sighting.
1: Yep, from from the time I saw it over to my right, which would have been the south, to the time it kind of disappeared into the mist slash clouds to the north. Yeah, about twenty seconds. That's it is a long
0: time. Does it fade away when it leaves? Does it fade away or does it shoot off somewhere?
1: No. It never increases speed ever. It was just moving at one constant slowish speed. That
0: is bonkers. Yeah. Have you seen anything else other than that? I have not. No. Okay. And you you mentioned you were a big fan of Stanton Friedman. Can you explain who Doctor Friedman is? Sure. So uh,
1: Stan Friedman is one of the top names in ufology when it comes to the study, the academic deep. Uh, researching and investigating UFOs for decades. Uh, Stanton recently passed away in the last few years, but for the heyday of UFOs, you know, coming out of the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s, he was like the leading guy. Um, I mean, just tons of investigations uh, he did, turning over every rock uh, that he could, and wrote books, published papers. He was um, a big name in ufology. Yeah,
0: and way ahead of his time, I think, also. it was yes. This was when it was ridiculed. This wasn't, you know, current. Totally,
1: 100%.
0: He actually found quite a bit of people that had foreign implants in their body, he would find. Are you familiar with any of that?
1: I'm familiar with the, um, you know, the concept of alien abduction implants you know, things like that. And it's not a handful of people. There are a lot of people who claim this happened to them and that they are they are finding foreign objects, yes, in their skin.
0: Yeah, it's really bizarre. Okay, so you have your experience in 2003. So now you're, are you with the New York Post before you start the UFO series?
1: Oh, yes, I am. I'm with them. I started working for the Post in
0: 2014. Okay. So you're there 2014. What are you working on uh, generally? Not UFOs. <laughs> <laughs> is what I'm generally
1: working on is the opposite of UFOs. Uh,
0: okay. All right. So the opposite of it. So then 2017, does that give you the courage to maybe pitch the idea for the basement office? Or how does this come about?
1: It was weird because um, it was not in 2017 when that story hit and the folks around me, you know, in the newsroom are going, wait, What? Um, there, there was a lot of confusion on how to handle the story because up to that point, you know, it was usually handled with a wink or a nod or laugh or a joke. And here's the times and the Washington post and Politico, like all taking it seriously. So as like new UFO stories started to come out, you know, after December, 2017, people would, you know, slowly, but surely start turning to me to ask my opinion, my insight, um, uh, Because, you know, up until this point, I had not like openly admitted that I was super into UFOs. Mm. Um, and then, so we did a few videos, you know, I'm a video producer. I'm not like, I'm not a writer. That's not my role at the post. I make videos for the post. So uh, I, we did a couple videos on UFOs, the Navy UFO sightings, um, the International Space Station, seeing weird stuff in the sky. And we started to notice internally that Those videos would do super well because people were searching for information on UFOs, especially Mm -hmm. on YouTube. It was just like big search, like everyone wanted to know what was going on. So they came to me and they said, hey, this is a a big search thing. People are looking for this content. Um, Can you pitch us an idea for a UFO show? And I said, Okay. And I came up with the basement office, which is, you know, my my initial thing was I didn't want to do a history channel, discovery channel type UFO show, which is melodrama and like super dramatic recreations and bombastic music and like ridiculous, like visual effects, tentacles and just absolutely bonker stuff. I wanted to do the antithesis, the antithesis of that I wanted to do just two dudes at a desk talking about the facts of UFOs. That's it. Like, that's all I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. I absolutely owe the New York Post so much credit for going with that. I think it was like a really good journalistic approach and like they greenlit it and they gave me, you know, support and time and resources to kind of like make the set, build the set and make it happen. And it's just, I mean, the rest is history. The show has just been A great reception to the show. I think it's a breath of fresh air to those who are used to the like melodrama coverage of this topic. It's, you know, I try to keep it level headed.
0: Yeah. And you do. It's amazing. I think it's the most in depth, like, it's the most interesting. That's for sure, too, because you look at it, you don't, you're not mocking it, you're taking it seriously, but you're also taking the other side of it you know that it could be a rock or you know whatever which i really like and you do most of the shows with nick pope can you explain who Mm -hmm. nick pope is he's this legendary figure out of england
1: yeah so nick pope you know he is a former employee of the uk's ministry of defense which is like the british version of our department of defense and um in the early '90s, Nick says that he was assigned to the UFO desk. He handled UFO sightings and UFO investigations um, for the Ministry of Defense. And so, from his lofty position, he says he was uh, came into contact with, you know, specific evidence and stories and and and, and research that, you know, uh, led him to believe there was something out there.
0: Yes, and he's very good. <laughs> like you can tell he's he's a government guy, you know, he's a he's a company guy. He's very good at saying stuff but not saying stuff at the same time. Has that ever been frustrating for you?
1: No, I I think the opposite
0: because a
1: lot of times when especially with this topic, you want to get it you want to get down to its core. Sure. You don't want to spend 10 minutes saying or describing something that you can say in 30 seconds. And Nick is like an a god at doing that. Nick is able to get something and verbalize something quick, precise and direct. And like, that's what I love about him because I do tend to just kind (laughs) of (laughs) ramble and Nick, Nick will keep it short and precise and, and directed. And, and,
0: and that's great. He is so good. I, I just want to know what he knows though. I just want to know. Yeah. And, you know, it seems uh, what was interesting,
1: and this comes up in a few episodes, is his job, part of his job was to downplay and suppress UFO information to the public. Like mm. He he worked in the British version of the Pentagon. And the Pentagon, you know, it, it shouldn't surprise anyone that the Pentagon downplays and suppresses information about UFOs. They just do. Right. And he was that guy. Like Nick Pope was part. Fox Mulder part cigarette smoking man. Like he was (laughs) a little of both. And so I, I love that about him and I love that I get to get that point of view.
0: Yeah. How did you get him on there? Cold email. Literally like
1: we, we sent an email, I think to five or seven uh, big names in ufology and not really thinking any of them would reply. And Nick replied enthusiastically He came out, we shot one episode and it was, Originally we we were just gonna have him in in one or maybe two episodes. And then our chemistry, like the way we're able to like bounce off each other was just so good that we we're just like, no, you're like the permanent co-host of the show now.
0: And he's perfect. Yeah, you two the chemistry is off the charts. It's so good. Yeah. Was it instant, you think? It was.
1: Nick's able to flow, like he, you know, Nick's obviously got media training. He's been in Ancient Aliens, he's been in a million shows. So he's got that media training on on how to react to a question or to a conversation. And so we didn't have to do a lot of cut. Let's restart cut. Let's resay this. Like we didn't have to do that. We it, like, what you see in the show is more or less how the conversation went down. It was just beat by beat by beat and the flow. We bounced off each other so well that, that, that he was, it was just no duh. It was like, there was no debate on whether he
0: would stay on. Right. And why do you think now? Because after, like you were talking about, he was kind of the downplay guy. And for 80 years, our government also has been, I feel, in my opinion, been hiding this stuff and covering it up. So why all of a sudden now? Why do you think now it's all coming out?
1: That's a really good question, man. And if you want to like answer that, if to answer that question like directly, um, it's, it's as simple as this marketing when you, you can sell anything you can sell any brand or anything if you play it the right way if the new york times front pages your shark tank product there's going to be a ton of a, a tidal wave of interest in whatever that is right. whether it's ufo's or the next cool bean bean bag it's going to if that if you get it in the cover of the new york times it's a done deal right. so To logistically and just logically, I mean, to logically answer that question is, uh, UFO activists got their, uh, story to the front page of the New York times. That's the reason why we're talking right now It's because, uh, those who want, who believe that the government is covering up the existence of, uh, UFOs in something extraordinary, um, Convinced those at the Times and Washington Post and Politico and CNN that this was a story worth telling. And once it's told, that it's hard to get that cat back in the bag. Uh, so that's why we're logically where we're at. Now, the second part to that answer is that those like Lou Elizondo or Chris Mellon or Leslie Keen, uh, these people honestly believe that the government is withholding and has been withholding. Extraordinary stuff. So that's something that the public deserves an answer to. Yeah. It, are they or aren't they? So, yeah, that's that's where we're at right now.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with that. And Lou. Uh, Elizondo, he was the former head of A which was the investigative wing of UFOs. Correct? Like this is the, before there was Blue Book back in the what 60s, 70s, I believe. Their whole job was to debunk everything. Everything that people saw was to debunk it. How was A different from that? Do you think?
1: Okay, so A Tip was different uh, because it 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 didn't care about mom and pop in Kansas who saw the UFO. It didn't care about the college student who saw a saucer on his way, on his drive home. It didn't care about any of that. ATIP was focused on military and government UFO encounters. So Lou only only focused on Navy pilots who saw UFOs, uh, Navy shipmen who witnessed UFOs. Uh, It was all um, military stuff. So the other contract that the Pentagon contracted out which was called Allsop not ATIP, but the Allsop contract which went to Robert Bigelow and his bass company they were they focus on the mom and pop sightings the you know joe most uh, sightings but ATIP was an internal Pentagon military uh, military sightings operation
0: oh, okay and and Lou is behind the three big drops that changed ufology forever (laughs) right back in 2017 can you can you go into those big three that changed our world forever okay so we're talking
1: about the three now infamous navy videos black and white fleer camera um that supposedly allegedly show what they call unidentified aerial phenomena which is the the government's new term for ufos and these were unclassified videos. These weren't highly classified top secret videos. Mm. Uh, And Lou filed the official paperwork to have these videos released. He filed that paperwork. You could go online and read that paperwork has been released. And apparently, according to the people who tell the story, these videos were released and uh, were given to, I believe if I know the story correctly, Chris Mellon, who was the former deputy director of the defense intelligence agency who was then a, now a civilian um and those videos were then given to to the stars academy which was tom DeLong's ufo company and then they uh you know released the video in coordinates with the
0: new york times what are your thoughts on those three videos what do you think is behind
1: it? okay so uh <laughs> other than the gimbal video. So the gimbal video is that saucer looking thing that rotates mm-hmm. other than that video. I don't think I'm looking at, at anything extraordinary. I'm not looking at anything other otherworldly at all. Um, and, there's a debate to be had on whether the object in the gimbal video that looks like a saucer only looks like a saucer because of the FLIR distortion. You're, You're seeing basically heat signatures and whether those heat signatures are like portraying a shape that isn't really the shape of the object being filmed. Now what fascinates me about the videos is the audio. When you hear Navy pilots and trained military men going what the hell is that oh my god there's a whole fleet of them when you hear that and, and and these are people who are trained to identify threats identify stuff in the sky these are people who fly for a living these are who people day in and day out all they do is fly around and see stuff when they're amazed when they're blown away when you hear that that makes me go, okay, maybe this is something not normal.
0: Right, that's a great point. I, f- I feel kind of the same way. I don't, think, I don't think they necessarily show anything. The gimbal one, I think, is the most fascinating because if you follow the Bob Lazar story, it's exactly how he has described these how these things fly that he worked on. Uh-huh. But the story behind it, like when you hear Colonel uh, Fravor tell the story about the Tic Tac one, that's far more interesting than the, what the video shows. So I think, is there a bigger part of the video that hasn't been released yet or that will be released? Do you think I know
1: for a fact, and I interviewed, uh, direct eyewitnesses, uh, Navy men who were on board the Princeton, um, who were in the room in the CIC and they saw the live feed of, uh, specifically the Tic Tac video. And the Tac video, only 60 seconds has been ever released. No one's ever seen beyond 60 seconds. But they were saying the full video is like 12 minutes oh, long. Wow. The actual video is 12 minutes long. So, yeah, I think for each of those videos, much longer versions and higher res versions exist. Oh. I, so, yeah.
0: Oh, there's higher resolution video that exists. Of course. What you're looking at are like, uploads
1: of uploads of compressed youtube videos the direct you know the navy's video systems the uncompressed versions would be much higher res in fact the navy witnesses i spoke to said it was crystal clear oh my tick the tic-tac t- was crystal clear
0: no way and that's the one that goes underwater and out and drops eighty thousand feet in what a half a second or, or something crazy like yeah. that oh my exactly gosh. do you think we'll ever get that video
1: dude i hope so i mean it's just so we can put to bed because this i mean honestly man these videos were made for skeptics it, it's easy for a skeptic to look at these videos and say there's nothing extraordinary at all in any of these videos yeah. and they have a Good fucking point because they don't, (laughs) they don't really, they don't show anything like thousands of years in the future. I'm not looking at some kind of warp bubble, extraterrestrial crap. I'm looking at some blurry thing that might be moving fast and performing weirdly, but I don't know. So yeah, if the, if the full video high-res videos were released, it could put to bed all of them.
0: Right. Yeah, that's a great point. How do you feel about Bob Lazar? Bob Lazar is the reason we know about Area 51. He says he back-engineered crafts uh, back in the 80s, I want to say, 80s or 90s, and he thought they were going to kill him, so he came out and came public with all this stuff. What are your thoughts about Bob?
1: Two things. One, I don't think about Bob Lazar. <laughs> <laughs> the the second thing is, um, and I should preface this by saying I haven't I haven't done a really big deep dive on Bob Lazar mostly because I haven't felt the need to, but I just, I, I, I stay away from Bob Lazar. Like that. He seems like a LARPer. Like if I was just to say my knee jerk reaction, he seems like a LARPer. Um, I don't necessarily trust much of anything that comes from Bob Lazar. I mean, what we do know is that guy was involved in fraud, that the guy was involved with the law. The guy was involved in some shady shit, and I can't yet go that far. I mean, if I, if it's proven that Bob Lazar is exactly what he said he is, man, like I will eat my shoe, <laughs> you know, like, right. wow, I will just, I'll get down on the ground and I will apologize to anyone who is a Bob Lazar fan and say, you were right. <laughs> but I just don't, I, I don't, I don't see it.
0: Right. I was, I was in that same boat up until maybe a couple years ago and when that, documentary came out and then hearing uh lazar on joe rogan i i am on the bob lazar bandwagon now i feel like he was involved in some crazy stuff but i think a lot of the stuff has he's been proven right over the 30 years since he came out that's my opinion anyway okay (laughs) (laughs) i'm not gonna get you all right fair fair point okay so that one you're gonna put in in not very credible territory. The one in Aurora, I know you covered this one in your series. Tell me about that one. That one was a a crash, a spaceship crashed, and then they supposedly buried one of the bodies there.
1: Yeah. Aurora, Texas, I believe it was 1897. um, An Associated Press report went out uh, nationwide and then worldwide that a spacecraft had crashed in Aurora. The occupant of this vehicle was reportedly buried in an unmarked grave. And the story goes that uh, there were fragments of the spacecraft strewn throughout, et cetera. And this garnered a lot of press uh, worldwide uh, about this UFO crash. And MUFON later went back to the scene of the, uh, of the alleged craft and supposedly acquired fragments of metal and alloys and had them analyzed and supposedly found some weird stuff in the metal fragments. It should be noted that this Aurora, Texas, uh, was losing money. Uh, they had, anti- they had anticipated getting a train station built at their city mm-hmm. and that the trains would run through their city, thus bringing people, tourists, etc. The train, uh, company did not do that. They bypassed the city completely, and the city, uh, it, it could be said that the city, someone put out this story to garner attention and put Aurora, Texas on the map. Could be the counterargument of what, you know, occurred.
0: I did not know that, actually. So do you put yeah. that in the skeptical, or do you put that... Yeah. Yeah? Okay. I put
1: in the skeptical with the only outlying thing being the metals that MUFON collected and had analyzed and... Um, a professor, I forget, I forget which, I think it might've been the University of Iowa, some university, uh, put out a quote saying he found quite, quote, quite puzzling, um, uh, alloys within the metal stuff. He couldn't explain.
0: Are these little pieces uh, that they found? Some of the pieces are the, like the size of your hand. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's interesting.
1: Um, and there was, oh, by the way, another outlying thing is there was a, a in fact, a unmarked they, they did a ground penetrating radar at the site and did find an unmarked grave from around that time. But it had deteriorated so much that they couldn't determine exactly what was under the ground, but it wasn't a marked grave and they were never given a permit to exhume the grave. No one would allow them to dig. So the answer is still buried in Aurora, Texas.
0: Do you think they'll ever let them exhume it? What's the reason they won't let them? Do we know? I mean, to answer it logically, probably
1: because they don't give credence to the History Channel's claims of aliens being in their graveyard. <laughs> okay, you know, right? <laughs> they they don't want to even give credence to that. Would be the logical answer.
0: Right. Okay. I can I can get down with that. Let's go to 1947. The the motherlode, Roswell. What do you think is going on here?
1: Okay. Roswell 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 um okay so let me just say two facts and I always focus on the facts okay fact number one this is true without a doubt the U.S. Air Force the military U.S. military put out a press release to local press in New Mexico that a quote crashed saucer had been recovered um, outside Roswell, it actually isn't anywhere near Roswell. It's actually near a little town called Corona. It's actually northwest of Roswell, but they said that in their initial press release, a crashed saucer. Super specific. They literally said that within 24 hours, a new press release. This is fact number two. A new press release is issued saying, "No, never mind. It was actually a weather balloon." Mm. That both of those things are true, and you have to wonder, like. What the hell made you say saucer? Like I could I could see you going a balloon-type object or something. Yeah. To say so sa- such a specific description of something you found in the desert, and then to change it to fragments, little thin foil fat fragments of a weather balloon. How did you get saucer out of that? This right. wasn't a, a, a crank who released that statement. That was the US military who released that statement. So you have to go, oh, okay, that's weird. Why did they say that? Now, mm-hmm. all the stories that came out of what really happened there, uh, I think maybe 70% are not true or or embellished. I I tried to read Philip Corso's book, The Day After Roswell, mm-hmm. which is supposedly the tell-all book about what happened. I mean, ex-military guy reveals all after he died, you know. Right. I got halfway through that book and I just couldn't finish it. It was like i I, i'm sorry to say to people out there who like love the book but it's such bullshit like it just came up it came across as just embellished honky donkey bullshit like the way it's written there's just unbelievable stuff like unbelievable claims in that book backed up by nothing but one guy's word i I mean the wacky okay so for example you know infrared you know green night vision oh, you know yeah, in yeah. reality how we use that mm-hmm. he claims in this book that came from the alien craft they like reverse engineered part of the craft and that's where <laughs> that's where we get our night vision that's and then right. he says um that he says like coaxial cables that we currently use for like internet or no, I'm sorry. Fiber optic. Fiber optics. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Fiber optics. He says those were wires that were taken out of the craft. No one knows this, but they're actually using UFO technology that was pulled from this lasers, lasers, lasers that we use in the medical field, in the military. This guy claims we got lasers from this UFO also. And I'm like, no, you didn't. <laughs> lasers were like in the 18, whatever hundreds, like first discovered, like I I couldn't finish the book because I was like, this is the truth. No, it's not.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think x-rays too. Didn't he say x-rays? I don't know. There's so many claims in this book. And the first
1: half of the book, honestly, is good. Like I was kind of into it. I was like, okay, this is good. And then when he gets into like the reverse engineer stuff and he's quoting exact word for word conversations that had occurred 50 years prior for pages. And I was like, how did you remember every word spoken mm. for like five pages? And it's like 50 years later. Like I could see you paraphrasing someone said this, but he's direct quoting people for pages from 50 years ago. And I'm like, I'm not sure your these quotes could be a completely accurate. You couldn't attribute them completely. <laughs> the book pissed me off. <laughs> I don't know if you can tell. <laughs> <laughs> right.
0: Do you find anybody out of Roswell credible? What about uh, Jesse Marcel? He was the guy in the picture, I believe, holding up the quote-unquote weather balloon. So he says he took um, some of the pieces home with him because he mm-hmm. was part of the cleanup. He took them home, showed his family, um, I believe an I-beam, and then a couple, the memory metal.
1: You would He would crunch it up in his fist and then open his fist and it would just like, bloop, like unfold and, and heal itself. The self healing mills or whatever. Yes. Like, yeah. Okay. I can, I can get into that. Like I, I'm open to that. I can get into that, but it's like, I, without a doubt, I believe there was a cover up. Right. I'll just say that whatever happened, the military put a lid on it for some reason, you know? It, yeah. You know, in, in, uh, Annie Jacobson's, New York Times bestselling book on Area 51. She says, she claims in that book that what crashed at Roswell was a Russian vehicle, uh, saucer shaped, that was meant to create a, a War of the Worlds type panic in the American public. That they, Russia was trying to test to see if they could enact mass hysteria during the Cold War or the early stages of the Cold War uh, on the American public, the saucer. And then the literally in the book, she says the occupants inside were deformed children selected by uh, Russians to scare us essentially.
0: Hmm. How how do you feel about that theory? I don't know. It's almost as crazy as an
1: alien crash, to be honest. Right. Right. But I could see that happening. You know, War of the Worlds in the 1940s, um, you know, that was still like a thing. And if you remember, the first time I was at H.G. Wells, uh, when that when that hit the radio waves, War of the Worlds was presented as if it was happening. There was no uh, context or, or there was no disclaimer that this what you're about to hear is not a real news report. Right. And it it did cause mass panic and it did cause cause fear across the country. And I think her, I mean, Annie in her book proposes that Russia knew this and was trying to tap into that or at least test that. And so they crashed a via a spy, a spy craft was able to penetrate our airspace crashed in New Mexico and with the hope that it, it would and that would match what the the military originally said. The military originally put out a press release saying a saucer had crashed. And then I think the military probably realized, oh, shit, this is probably Russia trying and we're doing exactly what they want us to do, which is release this to the public. So let's put a lid on it. and And so I could see that as a plausible explanation.
0: Yeah, that actually makes sense. I completely brushed off her theory, but the way you explain it right there, that actually makes sense now. Now I don't know what to think.
1: Yeah, neither do I. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's the problem with so much of it, is I think some of it can be explained, but some of it can't, and it it just messes with you. It's just crazy. But now that we know that it's real, there's w- another one I totally skipped over I wanted to ask you about because I learned this from your show. Uh, Christopher Columbus, he has documents of seeing him while he was sailing over to America. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that blew my mind. So when I, when I was doing the uh, research for our USO episode or water UFOs, this, this is real. Uh, Christopher Columbus in his logbook wrote that one night they saw a, a illuminated object in the sky. And the way it's described is a, a, a lit candle bobbing up and down up in the sky which uh, eventually vanished, but it, it it struck everyone in the crew enough to include it in the logbook.
0: It's so crazy. How many, Do know. we know how many times it's in there? Is it just the one time? Just the one time. God, this is bonkers. And that's in the 1400s. Um, yeah. Okay, so let's come back here now. One of the most documented, I believe, is Rendlesham Forest, and you cover it in a couple episodes, and it's it's unbelievable. Can you tell us a little bit about Rendlesham Forest? Sure.
1: Rendlesham Forest is, there are uh, two air bases uh, in England on the eastern coast of England. And between these two air bases is a forest called Rendlesham Forest. The air bases are, uh, one of the air bases is controlled by the United States. Uh, Britain allowed us to have an an occupied airspace, uh, air base there. And uh, around Christmas, uh, oh God, when was this? Nineteen. Uh, I want to say nineteen ninety. Anyway, it was around Christmas, and the uh, one of the guards guard posts saw what he thought was a crashed uh, aircraft in Rendlesham Forest. It, it, he saw light, a reddish light, and he thought it was fire. And so he reported to to base commander and everyone that he thought a crashed uh, uh, thing had happened. And so uh, first on the scene were uh, you know Jim Jim Peniston, some other guys, and you know Jim's story of what he experienced in the forest that night is vastly different than what Colonel Halt uh, a couple nights later experiences. I don't want to go into Penniston right now, but I'm just going to say, so they go out there. They claim they see a triangular craft hovering off the ground. The craft then takes off straight up and then zips off at light speed. They come back and report this. Colonel Halt at the time, who was, you know, he he didn't want anything to do with UFOs. He he thought, he was like, oh, what is this? What are you guys pulling? You know, like he thought it might have been a joke. Right. a couple of days later, at a Christmas party, soldiers come in, go right up to Colonel Halt, and they say, sir, it's back. What's back? The UFO is back oh. in Rendlesham Forest. But this time, Colonel Halt goes out himself to investigate it. And he had a tape recorder at the time, which he would uh, dictate, and then he would then later type. So he would you know, dictate into the tape recorder, go back to base, and type out uh, his thoughts. So he took the tape recorder with him. And he sees the object and he's flabbergasted. His jaw drops. Can't believe what he's seeing. It's this weird object floating through the trees. He said it looks like an eyeball that was blinking, which is creepy. And you can hear him on the audio and you can hear his men around him also like reacting to it. And he's narrating what it looks like. He's narrating what it's doing. And then uh, at some point it comes towards him. And then at some point it darts off into a field. And then t- it disappears, and when it disappears, like almost like fireworks explode from around it. And I interviewed both these guys. I interviewed Colonel Holt. I interviewed Jim Penniston. Um, Holt's testimony is what strikes me the most because he seemed he seemed the most like level-headed guy. Like he seemed like a guy that was just like a normal military guy, and mm-hmm. had no reason or desire to see a UFO at all, and it, in like. Honestly, when you talk to Colonel Halt, it's like you're talking to your grandfather. He's just like a really cool guy. Right. And when you listen to his audio tape, it's just some chilling stuff.
0: Because he recorded the whole thing on his tape recorder while he was out, right? That's right. And the most striking part of the whole thing was, I don't, I don't remember, which one touched it and saw a bunch of zeros Penn- and ones? Yeah, that was Jim Peniston. Jim Peniston. Okay, so he touches it and he has this memory of seeing zeros and ones.
1: You should say You should preface that by saying... Pennison claims
0: mm, okay, there's the <laughs> yeah. journalist, okay, right. yeah <laughs> so he claims that he has touched the the object, whatever it yeah. is, he sees a bunch of zeros yeah. and ones, he goes back and writes them all down into a notebook, and he forgets about it for the next thirty years or so, and then was it him that got it interpreted uh no, oh uh, so basically how the
1: story goes is he was being interviewed by some television program about his uh, experience at Reynolds from forest. And while being interviewed for this documentary, he pulls out his notebook and he's like, Oh, I wrote it all down here. Like here I wrote, you know, the description. I actually drew a picture of it. Here's the triangle that I drew 30 years ago. And as the story goes, the, the producer of the documentary goes, oh, what are those ones and zeros? And he goes, oh, well, that's a different story. And then the story comes out that he saw all these ones and zeros in a vision. And the ones and zeros are then allegedly analyzed by an alleged expert who claims that they translate to coordinates around the world to important landmarks, such as like the the great pyramids of Giza, um the, the 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 columns of Apollo in Greece, uh etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Wow. The Nasdaq lines in Mexico. So uh that's the story.
0: Wow. So I didn't realize that's what it was that it pointed to all of those. And didn't wasn't there a was there a message? Am I remembering this wrong? Was there a message in there also about
1: Yeah, there was you're goddamn right there was a message. <laughs> The message said, eyes of our eyes, something about the, um, for the, for the future and persistence of humanity from the year 8,100.
0: Oh my gosh. (laughs) So theoretically, if that's what happened, this is not an extraterrestrial or is it, or is it someone from the future? One of us from the future.
1: Jim Penniston says flat out. He believes it was us from the future.
0: Oh my God. Huh? What do you, what what are your thoughts on that? This is just insane. Well, I think you just said it, man. (laughs) Do you strike, does he strike you as, as credible?
1: Like, so I've met, a wide range of people who claim UFO stuff. Yeah. And you can tell usually right off the bat if they're bullshitting or if they're like, they've got something going on in their head, (laughs) you know? Um, and, and then you've got the people where you're like, well, actually, I don't know. This guy seems, this guy seems to believe, to believe it himself. Like he believes it. And so I, with Penniston, he didn't strike me as someone I could outright discredit. And so I was, I believe he believes it. Is as, as far as I'll go.
0: Okay. All right. So you believe, you believe he believes what he's saying. Yeah. Okay. All right. Man, that is, that is so wild. And these are the more you dive into it, and you cover all of these so far in depth, and have so much information on the basement office. Uh, everybody's got to check it out. It's so good. And there's, I, I know I've kept you probably a little longer than you thought. If if I could just ask you a couple more. Travis Walton, the guy uh, for Fire in the Sky, do you know, have you covered him at all? Yes. Okay, and what's your, what's your thought? His story is he got abducted for a week, maybe? Nobody could find him. Uh, three days, I believe. Three days. Okay, nobody could find him, and he comes back, and he's got this story that he was abducted and kept... In a spaceship, basically, and they ran tests on him. What's your feeling on Travis Walton's story?
1: It's tough because, I, you know, Walton's story is couched into the whole alien abduction thing, folklore, urban legends. And I have a problem with the whole thing the whole concept of alien abduction. And I'm nowhere near convinced that it's an actual phenomenon. That's just me personally mm. looking into it. And I believe there are actual rational scientific explanations for a lot of experiences people have. Um, and, but with Travis's story, again, I believe Travis believes it. Mm. I, I believe Travis believes it. And it's, um, I believe those around him believe it. And you know, it's when something is a big embellished lie, especially if if, if it's for financial reasons or whatever reason, mm. decades later someone's gonna crack. You know. Right. There's gonna there's gonna be a falling out of friendship. There's gonna be a something and someone's gonna say, Yeah, that was bullshit. We just said that to help so and so. We, we just did this to sell a book, or we just did this, blah, blah, blah. But everyone involved, all, all of the witnesses, the, the other men who were there and witnessed it happen, no one cracked, you know, decades later. And, they so, you know, a lot of these guys passed lie detector tests. And, you know, there's a whole debate to be said about lie detector tests, right. but they passed. Um, and, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I believe they believe w- is what happened happened. What they're saying.
0: Okay. There's one other one. Another big one was the school in South Africa.
1: Okay, this is a good one. Yeah, this this is really great. good. One. I love this one.
0: Yes, yeah, I'll, I'll let you explain. One. I'll let you explain. You'll you'll do it better justice than I will, but this one is awesome.
1: Okay, so during recess at the aerial school in Zimbabwe, I believe in 1994, um, uh, 60 plus school children witness a elongated, perhaps tic-tac shaped object at the edge of the woods outside the school and two occupants who fit the description of your classic gray aliens um, who approached the children and spoke to them telepathically um, in their without, you know, in their, spoke to them in their brains and um, and then left. And Dr. John Mack, who was an award-winning uh, psychologist, award-winning I believe from Harvard, um, went out and interviewed every child one by one. And they all tell the same story. And when they when asked to draw what everything looked like, the craft, the aliens, they all draw more or less the same thing. It, their stories don't differ. And uh, the National Institute of Medicine, you can look it up on their website. The, no, I'm sorry, the National Institute of Health, NIH.gov. There is a published paper on mass hysteria in africa so in south and in, in, in african countries and so it was a study on mass hysteria mass hysteria being a real thing where a group a large group of people become fearful of something that doesn't exist it's an actual scientific thing and they studied a few cases and Ariel school 1994 was one of them and it was the only one the only case they couldn't definitively uh, say it was mass hysteria. Really? Yeah.
0: Whoa. And this is, and still to this day, these children still have the exact same story that they had back then. Yes. And now, some,
1: as adults, these children stick to their story.
0: Yeah. And something you pointed out—the pictures they drew—looks like the tic tac that we just got the video of.
1: Yeah. And what what's really unsettling to me is—I mean, I have kids. I have two kids, and like I know what a child's imagination's like, and I know that it differs from day to day, and what they're into today is different tomorrow, and how they describe something today is going to be different tomorrow, and the fact that these children look uh, shell shocked, and that they're the, the the almost reverence that these super young school children talk about what they saw and the fact that i mean you bring in one child and ask them about something and bring in another their their playmate if it's a lie you're going to get different stories right. especially with like a, a, an 11 12 year old you're sort you're going to start to get varying stories and you just didn't get that in this case 60 plus students yeah that's impossible testified to this right you know and then the and then that you have to up the ante when the telepathy comes in there i mean You've got students from all backgrounds, you know, uh, white, black, uh, multiple races. They're saying they spoke to us in our heads and and they said, uh, humanity is not taking care of the planet. Humanity is hurting planet Earth. And we are very interested in humanity taking care of this planet is what they said the message in their heads was.
0: Oh, my gosh. And none of them were scared, right? They were all they were like you said, they all had a reverence for it.
1: Yeah, the, the students do speak about feeling fear in the initial encounter, but once the, this is per the students, once the alien started speaking to them, like all their fear melted away. Oh, like they felt wow. calm.
0: This is bonkers.
1: That case, out of all, a lot of the cases I've looked at, that case is one of the handful that bothers me. <laughs>
0: right because you can't you can't explain it away and people have tried for when did was it in 90 the 90s or was it 94
1: 1994
0: and nobody's been able to explain it at all and they've tried Uh, i'm
1: they've tried like there were some assholes who said like oh it was like a meat it was a meteor they saw a meteor come on and it's like it's like what are you talking about dude like we're talking about something in the woods two people coming out of it and these people talking to them telepathically, how does a meteor explain that? Right. That makes <laughs> no sense.
0: Okay, before I let you go, we got to talk about the upcoming congressional report that we're supposed to receive. Do you think we're going to get anything out of this? No. No, I do not. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm <laughs> no. I'm afraid it's going to be quite the disappointment.
1: Well, uh, for a couple of reasons, let's just start with lo- the logistical reason. One, it takes, as Lou Elizondo says, it's, it takes longer to remodel a kitchen than it does. Uh, then the time allotted; these uh, these guys have had to come up with this report. hundred, you know, right. um, they've only been given uh, a couple months since the mandate, and they're they're supposed to like come up with a detailed report on decades worth of UFO sightings. Like, I don't think that's logistically feasible. Also, the UAP task force, which the Pentagon created, we're not talking about a department full of dozens of people from what I understand from my sources, it's like two or three people, man. (laughs) And it's tasked to do all of this. And so like, I could totally see a filing of, of an extension happening, a preliminary, like two pager saying, Hey, this is serious. We're taking it seriously. We need more time. The end. I think if we get anything above that on, on June 25th, I'll consider that a massive win. Like, wow, what a miracle. Like that you were able to do more than just two pages by then. (laughs) And you have to understand that there are still elements within the Pentagon who want none of this to come out for various reasons, but they just don't want it to come out. Roadblocks are still there in the Pentagon for what gets revealed to the public.
0: Right. Lou has been trying to get he's been at the forefront like you said yeah has he told you anything uh, I you just did a big interview with him was there anything that surprised you I guess that he said
1: Lou said a lot of things that surprised me in that interview I only want to focus on one because it was a personal passion of mine and, and because of that it blew me away mm-hmm. as a journalist I don't I rarely speak uh, re- I rarely uh, share my personal thoughts what I think personally right. which may or may not be unfounded Uh, But but one of my personal thoughts for the last year plus, maybe even two years, has been an obsession with the fact that humanity has a hubris that seeing is believing. And I don't believe that's so. Human beings, the human animal, can only perceive a certain spectrum. Of, uh, of reality. Our eyes our literally our eyes and brains can only perceive and see physically a certain amount of things, not everything. Mm-hmm. Hummingbirds can see colors that outside the rainbow. Hummingbirds can see colors that human beings have never seen, like a new color that you've never seen. Oh, wow. um, radio telescopes reveal nebula and, and 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 space objects that human beings will never be able to perceive with the naked eye technology is needed in order to see things that are right in front of our face, but we can't see them. And along that, those lines, I think that ties into UFOs. I believe that UFOs, this is just me speaking per- personally, I think there is evidence, anecdotal evidence that leads to the fact that they're there. They're right there. We just can't see them. We just can't interact with them because they're dialed into a different hurts they're dialed into a different dimension and we just can't see and i asked lou oh my god and like my jaw dropped because i didn't i didn't prompt him or push him in this direction i just said hey some people say it's man-made some say it's aliens from another galaxy what do you think and he says why does that have to be either of this there are a lot of things we can't see mm. that are right in front of our eyes and i was like no way he's actually saying what i think and um <laughs> he said maybe this is uh you know, maybe this is just a new discovery of something that we used to call sea monsters, like the giant squid and and great white back before we understood what we were looking at, they were sea monsters, but now they have a scientific name. Uh, and he, and he said, maybe this is something what UFOs represent is, is something just like that. Something that we saw that we couldn't explain that will one day be explained and we'll, we'll recognize they were always here.
0: So, Something that our – are you saying our brain is blocking it out basically because we can't comprehend it, but that we're always seeing it? No, no. So the human
1: brain, the eyes, the eyes that evolution has given us can only perceive uh, H, capital H, lowercase z, hertz, a certain hertz of visual – a visual spectrum. We can only see a certain light spectrum, certain color spectrum, a certain motion spectrum. There are lots of things. Uh, animals such as the hummingbird have a different hertz. They, they their eyes and brain are wired differently, and so they perceive reality differently. And so, uh, you know, this was just published in National Geographic. Hummingbirds can see colors that human beings cannot. That that are invisible to the human eye. Oh, and okay. and so there's already a precedent about it within within the animal kingdom, within Mother Nature, and Lou is basically saying what I believe, which is there's stuff in front of our eyes we can't see.
0: Oh my gosh, that's enough to blow your blow your mind, man. I know, I know, I know. Oh, it's awesome. <laughs> it is. It is awesome, and it's and we're finally getting to the point where I feel like we may get some answers relatively soon. Like you said, I don't think this report's going to be anything. But I think we're in the on the right path to be to get these answers. I guess is what mm-hmm. I'm trying to say. So what? Sure. What are you working? Are you doing more episodes of the Basement Office? Uh, can we expect those anytime soon? I hope so. I think so. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> okay. So it's undecided so far. <laughs> Dang. I check every Wednesday. Yeah. Every Wednesday, I check for a new episode. Yeah.
1: I'm, I mean, COVID is kind of like because we're not, I can't physically go to the basement office set right now. Like I just can't physically do that. So that set us back. And then there's just like, I don't know. I think we're all waiting for uh, the 25th to happen and, you know, and then we'll like reconvene on like how to handle the show. If the government comes out and reveals literally a hundred percent, all of the truth about UFOs on June 25th, which is like two and a half weeks from now, then, Like what's my show?
0: (laughs) Oh, right. (laughs) Yeah. Good point. (laughs) You know? Yeah. I guess it would be. Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) I thought I had it for a second, but I got nothing. That's a, that's a good point. So yet wait until after that, are you working on any UFO stories now that you can tell us about?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, this is out there in the public already. So this isn't a Technically, an exclusive, so I can safely tell you whether my article goes up or not. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, but I'm reporting today in the post that Lou Elizondo is seriously thinking about running for Congress with the mindset of getting into Congress and forcing UFO disclosure to happen from the power of a U.S. congressman. So mm. Lou is has Lou's been teasing that, and and then just this week confirmed his interest about putting his hat in the ring running for congress winning and then spilling the ufo beans to everyone
0: i love that is that so that's confirmed yeah. he's going to he's going to do it or he's just toying with it at the moment
1: basically he said if if the ufo report that the pentagon is going to release is bullshit or watered down in any way and is anything short of full disclosure of the truth he's going to run for congress and make it happen
0: Oh, so he's waiting for the report to make it official, basically. That's correct. Oh, yeah. that's awesome. I hope, I hope he can do it because, like we said, I don't think it's going to happen, but I hope he can do it because I feel like there's been a lot of politicians that say they'll do it, and then they get in, and then nothing. It just dropped completely out of their vocabulary. They won't even talk about it after that. So my hope is he will do it. <laughs> yeah. I have faith in him. But th- there was a big step. Obama took the question seriously when he was on, uh, I believe it was James Carden, Corden uh, mm-hmm. last week. He actually took it seriously. Usually he brushes it off and jokes about it, but I feel like that was a big step. He took it serious.
1: Yeah, it was It was a much bigger step than our current president did.
0: <laughs> right, yeah. He. What did he say? Ask Obama. <laughs> I think the
1: the question was great. It was just kind of like, hey, the Pentagon's putting together this UFO report. Pilots are like uh, encountering these things and and the military saying it's a safety hazard. Like, uh, do you support uh, this this report that the Pentagon's going to go put out? And and Biden was like, go ask Obama. And then he's like (laughs) ripped his microphone out and then like literally ran off (laughs) stage.
0: You know, someone pointed out that he was the only candidate that did not talk about UFOs on either side. Yeah. He's the only one. And miraculously, he's the one that gets elected. There's oh, a whole man. story there, I think. You need to, everyone listening
1: needs to go back and watch Biden answer that question because then you will, like, the way he literally rips his microphone off and quickly exits stage left. Like, he couldn't get out of there fast enough. <laughs>
0: which could tell you something right there that he knows something and he doesn't want to say.
1: It made him too uncomfortable. Yeah. That yeah.
0: Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I like to I like to look into it a little more. But anyway, all right, Stephen, man, this has been awesome. This is I could do this all day. This has been so much fun. I appreciate you taking some time and gracing us with your presence. Sure. We'll have to do it again, but I appreciate it. Check out uh and you can check out the basement office, hopefully new episodes coming soon and then that uh article you're releasing will hopefully by be out by the time we drop this is it supposed to be today you thinking i'm thinking today yeah okay awesome well we will we will look for that definitely and thanks so much man again we uh really appreciate it this has been fun all right man have a good day bye yeah you too we'll see you next time